It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Thanks so Kilmeade. Much for listening, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. This hour, we're going to be joined uh, by Dan Patrick, Lieutenant Governor of Texas, where all eyes are on Texas as we are worried sick about what's happening at the border and angered by the policies or lack thereof with the Biden administration creating chaos in Central and South America. And I am not exaggerating. The guy who knows the reality on the ground will be joining us in a matter of moments. And then we'll also talk about the the lifting of restrictions. And for some reason, people are resentful of Texas for doing that, for trusting their people. A little bit later, Dr. Michelle Borbo will be here talking about education, opening up schools. Uh, She's an expert on parenting, bulleting, character development, and uh, the lack of schooling in public environments, in, in major settings, in major cities across the country, some places like Austin, places like Chicago, places like New York, and uh, almost all of California. It's been living and working at home, and it's inexcusable, causing incredible damage to our kids. We'll talk about that, but first, let's get to the big three. Now, with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. It appears that you give validation to something that he has uttered that is racist. I feel like uh, I'm about to be put in the electric chair because I have a friend who many people think is a racist, so that makes me a racist. What's it got to do with me? Exactly. And by the way, Pierce Morgan, not a racist. American cancel culture bleeding overseas as Europe guards against it and the UK gets infected by it. Two more get caught. How soon will they go get you, your job, and your family? Believe me, it's happening. Number two. Surges tend to respond to hope. And there was a significant hope for a more humane policy after four years of you know, pent-up demand. So I don't know whether I would call that a coincidence. Humane? What is humane about opening up your border and telling people to go thousands of miles with strangers, selling your life savings to put yourself, put your kid in danger like that? There's nothing humane about it. President Biden bungles the border and ripple effects fell through the border states and through our southern neighbors as Mexico points fingers at Joe and urges help. As they're saying, uh, as the saying goes, um... Get help for problems mean you have to admit you have a problem. And Joe Biden and his administration will not admit they have a problem yet. Number one. There is light at the end of this dark tunnel in the past year. But we cannot let our guard down now or assume that victory is inevitable. Together, we're going to get through this pandemic and usher in a healthier and more hopeful future. One year since the American shutdown, and there are more and more promising signs that we're ready to open back up. Plus, how a purely partisan spending palooza just passed. While I believe the short-term Democratic win will ultimately be a midterm loss. Joining us now, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. Uh, uh, Okay, he's going to be with us shortly. So let me set the table for his main topic. And his main topic is what's happening at the border. And then we're going to talk about why he decided to open up his state and why they have to sue Austin, the capital, to do exactly what the governor said they're capable of doing. So when it comes to immigration, what is happening at the border is totally preventable. What happened is on Friday, the latest time you saw 
Jen Psaki come out and said, yeah, it's, uh, if a kid comes to the border, we're going to humanely let them in. So if you're a parent looking for a better life for your kid, what do you think they're going to do? Of course they're going to go to the, uh, the border. And that creates a crisis. There's nobody who goes to the border who doesn't understand that this is a crisis turning into a catastrophe. But yet Roberta Jacobson, a coordinator for the southern border, was trotted out because Jen Psaki couldn't answer a question the day before. Nothing wrong with that. She didn't even bring a folder out to answer it as if she couldn't have predicted it. So here is Roberta Jackson answering the questions that Jen Psaki couldn't. Hold on to something. Cut 20. Surges tend to respond to hope. And there was a significant hope for a more humane policy after four years of, you know, pent-up demand. So I don't know whether I would call that a coincidence, but I certainly think that the idea that a more humane policy would be in place may have driven people to make that decision. May have. It's not humane. It's called open borders. No one's saying humane. They're wearing Biden let me in T-shirts. This is an embarrassment. Barack Obama, President Obama said there's a problem at the border and reacted. And there were kids in cages in 2014. And he sent his vice president Biden to those triangle countries to say, what are you guys doing? How bad is it? How can I help? And guess what? If you don't get it together, Trump said this more than um, more than you saw Joe Biden say this. We're going to cut off aid until you get your uh, your house in order. So between some hurricanes and the uh, pandemic, they feel they can come to our border and get in. That is not more humane. That's stupidity. What it, you want us, you want us to be condemned if we don't wear a mask. We're being selfish. How selfish are you by opening up our border, not finishing the wall, diminishing the powers of ICE, and letting people from other countries, we have no idea if they're positive or negative for the coronavirus, Who's selfish? You want us to wear two masks but let in 100,000 people at our border? It's nuts. Cut 21. If the change in administrations brought hope, then from your perspective, is this surge good? I don't think that's what I just said. I think it's a reflection of how migrants feel at a particular time. I think what we are doing is making sure that we respond to that hope for people who need protection, we respond to that hope in a way that their cases can be adjudicated more quickly. But I don't think anybody would say that coming to the United States in an irregular fashion is a good thing. That's why I've tried repeatedly to dissuade people from from listening to those smugglers. Well, I have news for you. No one's buying your explanation. No one's buying. Now's not the come. You say, don't come at all. Your message is now's not that time to come. So the Mexican president, uh, President uh, uh, Andres Manuel Lopez uh, Obrador, says this. They see, meaning Biden, they see him as the migrant president. And so many feel they're going to reach the United States. Quote, we need to work together to regulate the flow because this business can't be tackled from one day to the next. It's a carnival of ineptness. Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, this got dropped in your lap. You've had border crises before. Is this the first time an administration won't admit it's a crisis that you can remember? Yes, even uh, even under the Obama, and good to be with you, Brian, even under the Obama administration, they made some effort. Not much, made some effort. This is This is totally erasing the border and allowing everyone in, and there's a, you know, there's a perverse reason for it. 
it's not to help these people from Central America or South America for wherever they come in to get to America. That's not the, they're not looking out for their for their 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 health and wellness uh, or America's wellness. This is all about getting millions of people to come in, Brian, and then having legal uh, citizenship given to them in a period of time over the next several years, and creating millions of new voters for the Democrat Party so that they always stay in power. This is just a move from the socialist left to take over the country, and, and we need to call it for what it is because there's no – real quick, Brian, what do we what, what do we do with this kid, this teenager that comes over from Central America uh, into our school system, whether it's in Texas or anywhere else around the country where they end up landing? Uh, what, what do we do with that, that kid who's three and four grade levels behind? You can't put a 15-year-old in grade. Yeah, it doesn't speak English, so they drop out of school. They really have no future, and worst-case scenario, they're recruited by a gang because that's the only way they can make any money, and then you have more criminals on the street. What are we doing about these little kids that show up by themselves? Who thinks an 8-year-old is crossing the border by himself on his own? (laughs) A smuggler is bringing him across. We're sending him to somewhere who knows who. Do you think our federal government is really checking out and doing background research on everyone? Where these kids land? Are we are we putting the children into sex trafficking? And then, of course, America. We're flooding America. Yep. It's an increase to all, to every taxpayer, to every state, to every city, uh, to take on new Medicaid, uh, new um, health care issues, uh, to take on uh, the the education. I mean, go down the list. But so, what? Why is it really happening? I mean, it, the question really: Why is it happening? You know, and, and I said yesterday when I was on uh, Fox. Uh, you know, I kind of joked about it, but it's true. I said, you know, have they legalized marijuana in the White House? Because it, they must have, because they must be smoking it to think, you know, they're clueless about this. No, this this is a plan. And and, and Brian, so? we've we, we're seeing a surge like we've never seen. And let me give you the, the numbers. But, the, really but see, quick, this Brian. way I don't think, Dan. But I, I can say it before. Yeah, I'm not sure it's yeah, a plan no. because everything's overrun. Everybody's overwhelmed, and now the the world is complaining. And, and and they don't they didn't plan on the Mexican president condemning them. They didn't plan on no facilities for nine thousand four hundred and fifty seven Okana Company miners. So this doesn't seem like a plan. One hundred thousand four hundred forty one encounters in February alone. Seventy one thousand five hundred ninety eight single adults. You can imagine. We're already two weeks into March. These are February numbers. I am not sure that they even know what they're doing. Well, let me let me be clear that that's why I said, you know, they're smoking dope in the White House because they're clueless because they really don't know what's happened and how it was going to overwhelm our border system on that. You're absolutely correct. But their overall reason for doing this, in other words, what's the, what's the bottom line reason for doing this? It's not to help these families and it's surely not to help America. So it's to help their party. I and mean, so and what's happened is in their in their zest to do this. Um, because they are clueless about it. They did not realize they would be overwhelmed. They did not realize the surge would come. And when you take off those uh, MPP, those migrant uh, protocol protections uh, that that we kept asylum seekers in Mexico, and there were 25,000 in line for that. I mean, when Trump left, we had the best control of the border. Ever. And we had some spikes yeah. along his administration, but we had the best control of the border we've had in a long, long time. And I've, I've been in office now for 16 years, Senator, Lieutenant Governor. I've been all over that border uh, I know it very well and, and the issues that are happening, and this is the worst I've seen it, Brian. And look, we, we've arrested – we're sending more National Guard, more state troopers. You know, We're arresting criminals crossing the border. That doesn't mean everyone's crossing the border is a criminal, but we've arrested around 800 
so far in the first two months. I mean, that's what we're doing because Border Patrol is incapacitated. By the way, it's same Border Patrol that's not getting any vaccinations as far as we know. We're vaccinating our people down there. But, you know, they're, they're confronted. These government employees confronted with people bringing in COVID or whatever illness they may have. You know, we don't have the best health care in Central America, for example. And so, you know, the, the Biden is totally clueless. He's, a, he's nothing but a prop by the left. They've used him. But the, but, the, but the end game of this, Brian, the end game of this is to not only legalize – and I've heard this number for years, and I've been saying it for years every time I'm, I'm on Fox or anywhere else. There aren't 11 million illegal immigrants. You keep hearing that name. It's over 30 million, and the reason I know that, Brian, is because, the, because in 2004, the Chamber of Commerce of America, their president said, we have 10.5 million people here illegally. That was 2004. <laughs> Well, we've apprehended on average about 435,000 every year since then on average. We think we get three out of – maybe one out of three or four that come in. So if we're apprehending – if we're apprehending, Brian, 435,000 every year, there's another million to a million and a half coming in. That's over the last 17 years. That's 17 million plus the 10 and a half million they said they had. MIT did a study. They think it's somewhere between 27 and 35 million. And this year alone, Brian, on the numbers that we're seeing just on the Texas border, and we're 1,200 of the 1,900 miles, uh, we're the you know, about 60 percent or more. And this year could be higher coming through Texas. If we if we're apprehending uh, somewhere in the neighborhood this year of a million people. Right. Or more could be a million and a half based on the rate we're going. That means another three or four came in just this year. And if you take all of the states across the border, this number this year could be right. anywhere from eight to ten million people that come in illegally. And so now you're talking about I know you're talking about twenty percent, fifteen percent of our total population will be illegal that they'll make instant citizens. All these people coming in with Biden shirts, who do you think they're voting for? Yeah, so by the way, who's giving and, them to them? Ballot who, harvesting. Right. Who's giving that know to who's them? Giving it to them. Yeah, I, I don't know, Brian, but but uh, maybe they're writing it on themselves. But they're thinking of this, as you just said, the migrant president, and that's who they're going to vote for. And so we're, we're turning our country over to people who are coming in, ill-educated. They don't know our country. But, they Dan Patrick, here's, here's what I would caution election. you with. Remember, the, yeah. the President Trump did, did very well in these border communities. Yes. And, and yes. I think that they're going to see it again, one, one, how life was under him as opposed to under Joe Biden, who's taking away oil, gas, and making the border go crazy. Uh, real, uh, real quick, yeah. uh, i got to ask you about the decision to say 100 percent, 100 percent mass mandate gone. Are you for yeah. – uh, how is it going so far? It's only been a couple of days. What's the reaction been? Yeah. And by the way, Brian, you're, you're right on that. Trump turned seven counties on the border. But but uh, if we're overwhelmed with Central Americans, um, to the, the, the Hispanics are already here. That's that's a big surge. But the Hispanic Americans will will end up being Republican voters because they are Republican voters in bigger, bigger numbers. So the mass look, I've never been for mandates. I believe giving people information and letting them make the decision. The truth is there there are 15 other states that have already taken masks away. So this became big news just because of the left Texas. hates Texas because we do things right. So we're the you know the 16th state, Alabama, I think it is coming on next uh, in not too long. So most of the states are going this direction. Look, we still, like at the Capitol today, we have signs out when I go into the Capitol in just a little bit. It will say, we strongly encourage you to wear a mask. When, and so we advise that, but we're just not mandating it. And, and Brian, people have already made their decisions for life on this over the last year. There are people in Texas who aren't wearing masks, haven't been wearing masks, or no, there were no penalties on it if you didn't. So they made their own decisions. There are other people gotcha. who feel comfortable in a mask. And for myself, if I'm around people who, who want me to wear a mask, out of respect to them, I do so. Uh, and if I'm around people who don't wear a mask, uh, I don't wear a mask myself. And, and so 
Um, you know, everyone needs to be careful. We still need to social distance. It's still out there. But right now, Brian, we're, we're open 100 gotcha. percent in Texas, and, and that's what we're going to do. And, and gotcha. uh, we want to give liberty and freedom to people and uh, let them make their own smart decisions. Okay. And, and still, we'll have a watchful eye to make sure this virus doesn't spike. But right now, our numbers are lower than they've been in the last four or five months in terms of hospitalizations and death. Right. So Texas, we're heading in the right direction. Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, thanks so much. Thank you, Brian. You got uh, 1-866-408-7669. Don't move. Newsmakers and newsbreakers. Hear it first, only on The Brian Kilmeade Show. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. As many of you know from your own life experiences, a life in so-called blue-collar work is something to be proud of. It is very rewarding to work that has impact on your friends, your neighbors, and your family's lives. Great successes can be had in the blue-collar career. There's no degree requirement for achieving comfort, peace, and freedom. While schools cut shop classes and funnel students into colleges, there are plenty of options for hard workers who are ready to take advantage of open positions. Many young people today assume that college is the only way to achieve success in life. That is not true. Let me introduce you to Ken Rusk. Ken spent his younger years digging ditches and working in construction. He never went to college. Instead, he made goals, planned, and worked hard for 30 years. Now Ken is a successful entrepreneur with multiple businesses and revenue streams. In his national best-selling book, Blue Collar Cash, Ken shares his insights from over 30 years of working in blue-collar trades as an entrepreneur, mentor, and life coach. Now he's created a guide made specifically for you and your unique situation. This guide will give you or someone you love the tools you need to start designing the life of their dreams. You can achieve your dreams regardless of your educational background or your past. Go to KenRusk.com path to learn more. That's KenRusk.com path. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Everybody has a right to say what they feel with freedom of speech. Did I like everything he said? Did I agree with what he said? No, because it's his opinion. It's not my opinion. What would you say to people who may feel that you, while you're standing by your friend, It appears that you give validation or safe haven to something that he has uttered that is racist. Even even if you don't agree, am I I saying it right? Okay, am I saying? I don't know what he's uttered that's racist. I feel even Mm -hmm. like uh, I'm about to be put in the electric chair because I have a friend who many people think is a racist. So that. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. Makes me a racist. What's well, it got to do with me? Uh, that is Sharon Osbourne. But you, I'll go step better. He said that he didn't believe Meghan Markle. That's not racist. He says he doesn't believe the royal family's racist. That's not racist. Are you kidding? Uh, uh, John in Florida. John, what's on your mind? I was uh, 
Collins had touched on some points that, you know, Kilpatrick had brought up about the radical left trying to bring in, you know, millions of people to have, you know, voter supporters for the Democratic Party. You know, I believe that to be somewhat true. I also believe these people have their head up their butts because what you said, you know, they had no plan or support for any of these families. But the main point I wanted to touch on is are these people crazy? Did they forget about what happened 20 years ago with 9-11? I mean, who's screening all these people coming in? Who's I know. And there's Middle armed. Easterns there. There's a rate for Middle Easterns to get to our border. You believe that? And the cartels are offering this rate, $20,000. And believe me, they have the money. And there's a huge Iranian presence in Venezuela. And they, everybody wants out of Venezuela. They're, uh, they're dumpster diving there for lunch. Thanks so much for the call. Dr. Michelle Borba next. Education your kids. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. You know, we have about 104,000 high schoolers that are that are not going to school right now in Chicago. What we're experiencing as a city is an astronomical jump in carjackings and other crimes. And the Chicago Police Department just came out and said there have been 374 arrests just this year alone. And 44% of those um, arrests are juveniles. A lot of these crimes are happening during school hours. They're also saying that the motivation behind it is actually joyriding. Our kids are screaming to have us put them in a position where they can have some type of activity, but we're giving them only opportunities to do negative um, negative activities. Willie Preston, father of six on Fox and Friends about an hour ago, talking about the, the perils of keeping schools closed for a year in most cities, a lot of these major cities, Chicago, New York, Los Angeles, San Diego, San Francisco. They left them home for a year, many of which don't even have the laptops to log on to get on to Zoom where most kids aren't paying attention. There's no discipline. There's no organization. It's creating so many problems. Uh, and I can go on. Uh, challenges for first graders, kindergartners, fourth, fifth graders. Think about the senior year uh, high schoolers just going by the board sports that haven't been played. Parents that can't go back to work. Or the ones that do knowing their kids need supervision, but they have no choice. Dr. Michelle Borber knows all about these challenges. She's an educational psychologist, an expert in parenting, bullying, and character development. She's got a brand new book called Thrivers, The Surprising Reasons Why Some Kids Struggle and Others Shine. Dr. Borba, this is a unique thing. We're in the middle of a pandemic for a complete year. One year ago, people went home with their books, uh, with their work, and a lot haven't gone back. What's the special struggle for kids in school? Multiple. Number one is friends because it plays an enormous part of their lives. Uh, We now know, we all know, that connection is one of the strongest correlations to helping mental health needs. Number two is rituals, routines. That keeps stress down. The CDC just warned us that that is rising again in our kids. Prior to the pandemic, one in five American kids were going to be diagnosed with a mental health disorder. We're now at one in four. Now, the other thing is they don't have coping skills. Without those coping skills or the resources, many of our children, unfortunately, their greatest lifelines to support was school counselor. And without that, we're seeing uh, an also unprecedented rise in depression and suicidal behaviors. Brian, uh, compared to last year, 
We're now looking at a, an increase of going to ER visits for anxiety and stress among 5 to 11-year-olds, 25% increase amongst 12 to 17-year-olds. It's a 31% increase. I think it's one of those moments when you realize we're at a crossing roads and we need to reset what we've done in terms of parenting to raise our kids slightly different so they've got some skill sets to be able to cope because, doggone it, it's going to be a very uncertain world, if not this Something else. Before we get into some of the premises of your book, which I think so many parents are listening to us right now, they'll benefit from while watching us on Fox Nation. So kids have been going on their laptops through Zoom. I don't care the most astute kid. Don't you believe that we need to revisit the curriculum around the country, maybe around the world, but around our country? Because we got to get basically a year and a half into the next year. I don't care what grade you're in. We have to assume they didn't absorb much this last year, don't you think? We do know that, that the majority of our kids are struggling. We've got some kids that are going to do quite fine well, and they've got the support system that does so. But I'm worried about the kids that are at the lower spectrum that are struggling, and it may need that we need to revisit what we did in the old days. We had summer school. Yep. We had teacher cores that were the grandparents or uh, retired teachers setting in. One of the most untapped resources are student tutors. They're phenomenal. They're wanting to contribute. They're hurting desperately for their friends. And what some schools are starting to do is pair those kids up with their former elementary school teachers and helping the kids uh, in those classrooms. And it's helping the bigger kids with their stress reduction as well. We just have to think outside the box, Brian. So, Dr. Borba, pandemic aside, you say in today's kids, if they want to thrive, it's not necessarily to focus on getting the maximum grades out of the standardized test. What changed? What changed along the way is we put more and more focus on the cognitive hype. Uh, And it, it was not an overnight process. It was a slow, gradual change. When we started with the no child left untested, then we removed play and sandbox from our kids' lives. We started rigorous uh, education at age two-year-olds. And slowly, our kids became more and more stressed out. And all of a sudden, we're at this moment where we start looking at the stats and they're dismal. And uh, we know that thrivers are made, not born. They have a different skill set. It doesn't mean we stop helping them learn in the classroom, but we also help them learn how to cope, how to recognize their feelings how to problem solve, how to problem shoot. Those are what we now know are coping strategies. Phenomenal research on resilience when I was writing Thrivers found that there are kids who, despite extraordinary adversity, overcome. And the two commonalities they have is besides somebody in their life, if not the parent, then it's going to be a great aunt Sally or a teacher who is a a champion who refuses to give up the child. The second one is pre-existing coping or protective buffers, learn skills. And we do know that a lot of our kids are minus those because we put it on, on the other spectrum of their child development. In fact, the whole kid kind of left got left in the, in the backward there. It's a sad commentary, but this is the wake-up call. Yeah, so you say focus on socioeconomic health. What does that mean? Social, uh, it, so it means that we need to focus on what we now know is making our kids more anxious and, and really tanking in terms of their stress, and that is they don't know how to maintain and get the stress down. If they at least would recognize when their stress signs are mounting, there are stress signs that we can start pointing out to our kids before the meltdown and then give them kinds of 
strategies. Some of the best strategies, Brian, I, I learned when I was working on Army bases. And Navy SEALs said, we do three things differently, and it helps us enormously, the most elite forces in the world. Number one, we know our stress signs. The minute they come in, we, t- we give ourselves some kind of a calm-down, chill-out statement to ourselves, or we remind the other guy next to us. And then we take a one-two breath. A slow, deep breath from our abdomen, riding up like an escalator, hold it, and then slowly let it out. If the exhale is twice as long as the inhale, you get the fastest relaxation process known to man, and that is what helps us keep our cognitive capabilities intact. So interesting. We're finding a lot of our kids aren't focusing right now because they don't have those skills. Right. Now, why is that? Why Why in 2020 is this more of an issue than maybe 2000 or 1980? Slow process. Number one is we slowly stopped helping our kids learn these skills. We ourselves became more stressed. (laughs) Let's put it that way. So our stress mirrors down to our children. And that's one issue that's also hit in the pandemic. In all fairness, uh, parents have really had a tough time, and rightly so, trying to keep it together. And it's been unprecedented. But we also started putting this whole push on thinking that what was going to give our kids the optimum success is a GPA or a test score. And so that's where we put our time and energy. That's good. We have now raised the smartest generation known to man. But fascinating is the number one time our kids are most likely to drop out of school is end of freshman year, first semester of college. It was college counselors who said something's going on with the kids. They're very smart coming in here, but they're lonely A lot of them don't want roommates. This is prior to the pandemic. Uh, They don't know how to connect socially with each other. They haven't had the time. A lot of play dates have been removed from their lives. And uh, we're running out of resources and counselors because their stress levels are so high. You look at uh, the election cycle, the pandemic. uh, You come off uh, 9-11 over the last few years. How do you raise an optimistic kid in that environment without snowing them to the realities that surround them? Well, first of all, we're not trying to raise Pollyannas. There is a reality base that you've got to be seeped in. Yeah, it's tough right now. But the second thing is there's phenomenal science. When I was writing Thrivers, I recognized that, unfortunately, parents haven't been fed a, a good parenting toolkit that follows the science. University of Pennsylvania has been tracking what keeps depression down And there's some simple little things. Number one, teach your kids problem solving. Problem solving at an early age. Don't helicopter them and rob them of the opportunity to figure solutions out themselves because drivers have agency. If a child knows, hey, I got this, I can control it, I've got the skills, it's going to help them. The second thing is watch out for that pessimism because it's going to take over all of us. And as pessimism rides, and everybody's going to have a bad day for heaven's sakes, these are tough times. But if it becomes permanent and pervasive, it robs kids of hope. And they've been seeing, obviously, a steady death count every day on the news. So number one is start giving them the good news. This is NYU says the images our kids see can galvanize their hearts or take their hope down. What some parents I suggest you do is go to the back pages of newspapers or listen to the good stuff on the radio and start reporting. Did you hear about those kids in Pennsylvania? They're starting good news reports every day, and they're giving them to their friends. If you report the good stuff, actually it inspires kids and reduces stress. There's so many simple little things that you can adopt in your family rituals and routines. Mm-hmm. Another one is go back to the fam- go back to what the Navy SEALs say. Come up with a family mantra. We got this. We'll get through it. Fascinating stuff of now looking at what helped kids during the London Blitz during World War II. 
It was families who stayed cool, stayed calm. Yeah, it was terrifying. But the families just really helped the kids realize, we got this. We'll get through right. it. And as a result, they got to the other side. What I'm trying to do is, is help kids with the reality, yeah, we're going through a pandemic. But you can also give kids a reality check of your upper grade kids. Go through history. Let's compare to another crisis like the Spanish flu or Ebola or smallpox. They endured, they got through, and they had some tough, tough times as well. You've got to give kids different kinds of options. What works for one child is not going to work for another. But there's science-backed strategies that say you can keep kids hope alive, depression down, stress intact, and it'll help them now with the rest of their lives because those are the habits they're going to be able to use forever. That's right. how you raise thrivers. Dr. Michelle Borba, our guest, uh, Thrivers is the name of the book, The Surprising Reasons Why Some Kids Struggle and Other Kids Shine. So you said let kids fail. You mentioned don't be a helicopter parent. Let them try. Let them do everything. Sometimes they got to fail and not make excuses. It's how they react after that happens, which is key. Show them that they can control their emotions. I think that's uh, pretty key. Also, I think yeah. that if anybody yeah. doubted the impact of school and teachers, uh, they shouldn't be doubtful, doubted now as parents try to jump in and teach. But I think sometimes teachers, especially teachers unions, got to realize their importance. And sometimes life has risk, and we got to learn to take that risk. Yeah, I, I think, first of all, we've all had a wake-up call that uh, if there's a, a horrific silver lining to the horrors that have happened, it's realizing kids need something more. The impact of school is absolutely profound, particularly at certain ages of our children. We're now having kids also watch out because when those school doors do open, we've got a lot of children who are now catching worries. We're seeing rises of anxiety, even our younger kids. So we need to start crunching their worries. You can't talk a kid out of a worry. It's real. But you can say, let's open the door and see how it goes. Now let's take our foot out the next door. We slowly start helping them manage a fear and as a result, what will mm. happen is they'll use the strategy. You don't throw your kid in the deep end of the pool when they're scared of water. But you recognize the fear, and you start helping them chunk it into smaller dosages. And as a result, you're going to help kids develop some coping strategies. The most amazing thing, Brian, once you teach these strategies to kids, you can also use them as adults. Right. And if you want to teach them to yourself, that's going to help your kid because we need to be calm so our kids are calm. You know, it's interesting, too, when it comes to sports, to make it even more simplistic. If a kid starts all four years, goes to college and sits on the bench, they can't handle it. What's going on here? How can I not be playing? But well, if you go through those four years and you've been on the bench, off the bench, on the bench, off the bench, when things go start going bad in college, when you're in your 20s and your parents are not there, you go, okay, this reminds me of my sophomore year. This reminds me of eighth grade. Correct? Uh, yes, because it's little dosages of failure not overcoming them. You slowly begin to realize, I can do this. I can get through it. And that's what we discover when we look at children who are thrivers. Again, they're not made, it's not locked in, it's, excuse me, they're not born, they're made. It's not locked into their IQ, and it's not one program or trait. It's everyday experiences, ordinary stuff that can make extraordinary differences on our children's lives. I think the, one of the biggest damages has been bubble wrapping our kids or yep. helicoptering them. So when the push does come and the adversity does come, they're, they're waiting for somebody to rescue them. And you pointed out, uh-uh, that ain't going to work now. We've got to help our kids realize you got this. 
Yeah, absolutely. Uh, great book. Uh, great idea. And so pr- I can't imagine anyone not benefiting from, from this, whether you're a young parent, an aspiring parent, a grandparent, someone in the middle of it uh, now. Uh, I can't imagine this not benefiting them. Uh, Dr. Michelle Borba, your years as an educational psychologist is all in the book, Thrivers. Thanks so much. You're welcome. Thank you. You got it. one 408 We're going to come back with your calls. I see you up there. So join us. Brian Kilmeade Show. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. President Biden says it's a, a coronavirus bill, and uh, my response is right, you know, and the stripper really likes you. Best line I can remember hearing in quite some time. Uh, that was Senator Kennedy with me on Fox and Friends about 45 minutes ago. Uh, that's it is not a coronavirus bill. It's a whole bunch of uh, programs being financed uh, under the guise of the coronavirus bill, and the Democrats hope it gets him. Uh, keeps their House majority and Senate majority or Senate 50-50. Frank, listen on WLAD in Danbury, Connecticut. Hey, Frank. Hey, Brian, what's up? Yeah, I, I watched that this morning, too. And the first thing that struck my mind is, like, we need those guys to really call out Joe Biden because, really, you want headline news. Joe Biden is the first president in American history to ruin the country in 50 days, not 100. <laughs> <I know. laughs> Between the border and this? you got to be kidding. I know. It's insane, the jobs, this, that, and everything else. And one small thing, just listening to that lady you had on before. I used to be a baseball coach. I quit the day they gave trophies to the losers and everybody. It's just not good for the kids. Right. Uh, she says you got to let your kids fail, and you got to get them through this. You can't act like it's doom and gloom, and uh, you got to acknowledge the reality and then tell them how to, and, and help them work out a problem-solving series of uh, behaviors. It's going to help men in life avoid depression. I think it's a great book. It's called Thrivers. Joe, listen on WRCN in Long Island. Joe. Brian, good morning. Listen, Brian, I want to ask you, what's it going to take to get this Como to, to, to get impeached or to resign? I mean, who can in New York can listen to the He's incompetent predator. Who is sending, I want to ask you, who is sending these young aides over there to be alone with this man? Somebody had to be sending them. They're just starting out in life. And this predator preys on them. He's never older women with life experience. I think he's gotten away with this uh, with the young age for years. And I, if I was an investigative reporter, I would go to Hampton Bay where he keeps his boat. I'm against it, find out if he was ever with, at Clinton's house with Harvey Weinstein when they lived next to him. And I would go to Puerto Rico and I, I for a fact, no, and Southampton, because I know he hangs out in the bars out there if you want to know about this guy. Then I'd ask the wives. Because that's how you find out about a man. Ask Kerry Kennedy and ask his girlfriend, uh, Sandra Lee. Go investigate them. Find out about this monster. Because this is, and Gillibrand should have known this. And all these people keeping quiet. And, these, they're keep, and they don't want to come out. How many people didn't thwart his advances because they were scared? And they, they did get. We're about, uh, well, we're up to six now, Joe. These are good points. Uh, and for people around the country listening, these are all uh, posh neighborhoods where he's been known to be. And that's allowed. Single guy, you could do what you want, but not to, not to everybody you want, especially when you're in a position of power. 85 New York lawmakers are calling for him to resign. Uh, of those, 44 New York lawmakers are specifically calling for impeachment. 
I think the Attorney General will uh, give him a thumbs up or thumbs down. That will decide his political future. That's if nobody else comes out. And I'm sure we're going to be adding to that total of six. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, giving you opinions and facts with a positive approach. It's Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody from New York, heard around the country, around the world. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. One of the smartest people you'll ever meet, Ian Brammer, coming up shortly. And somebody almost as smart, Chris Wallace, is just getting out of the shower. Before we uh, let you know, in case you do not know, I know it seems like 10 years, but it's only been one year since this pandemic started. What did they say? One week to stop the spread? Two weeks to stop the spread? It's been a year. We've got hit by multiple waves, but I really believe we've turned the corner, and now it's about opening up, taking minimal risk, getting a vaccine, and getting back to work. What have you been through? I want to hear from you for that, and we're going to hear get an address from uh, Joe Biden tonight. And, man, he has had a a series of weak appearances, walking away from the press yesterday, looking at him and walking away from questions about the tragedy that's taking place at the border. Uh, Before we get to Chris, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. It appears that you give validation to something that he has uttered. That is racist. I feel like uh, I'm about to be put in the electric chair because I have a friend who many people think is a racist, so that makes me a racist. What's it got to do with me? Yeah, but she's Sharon Osbourne on a talk show going to bat for Pierce Morgan because Pierce Morgan has an opinion. American cancel culture bleeding overseas as Europe guards against it and the UK UK gets infected by it. Two more get cut. I'll explain or try to. How soon till they come for you, your job, your family? Number two. Surges tend to respond to hope. And there was a significant hope for a more humane policy after four years of, you know, pent-up demand. So I don't know whether I would call that a coincidence. Yeah, I really regret not not really supporting illegal immigration more. Pent-up. No kidding. Roberta Jacobson, who embarrassed herself yesterday, coming out as the coordinator for the southern border. President Trump bumped President Biden bungles the border and the ripple effects fell through the border states, through our southern neighbor, as Mexico points his finger right at President Biden. As they are saying, uh, you have to identify a problem, admit you have a problem to solve the problem. And so far, we have not admitted, the administration hasn't, that there's a crisis. Number one. There is light at the end of this dark tunnel of the past year. But we cannot let our guard down now or assume that victory is inevitable. Together, we're going to get through this pandemic and usher in a healthier and more hopeful future. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, One year since America shut down and there are more and more promising signs. We're ready to go and open back up. Plus, a purely partisan spending palooza just passed. Why, I believe this is a short-term damn win, but will ultimately lead to a midterm loss. But first... 
And now it is time to clear the airwaves for the esteemed ombudsman for the Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm going to say two words to your staff that you have never said. Thank you. <laughs> Exposing administrative malfeasance. Why should I thank them? They're doing their job. Oh, my gosh. Wow. And offering productive solutions. I believe that if you encourage people, they do their best work. What I do, I'll berate you until you graduate. And then when you move on, I said I was just trying to make you better. While still keeping it real. I wish they showed one one hundredth the creativity for the rest of the show (laughs) as they do once a week (laughs) for my intro. The generous. You do have adorable dimples. The gracious. This is the best part of the show. The president of the Brian Kilmeade Show Labor Union. He's not the nice guy with the dimples. That's not who you really are. You're a tyrant. Chris. Chris. Wallace. All right. You know what that was? What? You know what that was? What was that? That was a cry for help <laughs> from your staff. Ah. That was your staff. I don't know that you even understand it. That was your staff saying, thank gosh, we finally have somebody who appreciates the work we do, who treats us like human beings, who's a nice person. That was, and I just want to say to all of you, Eric and Peter and, and Allison and whoever, uh, you're welcome. Thank you. I, I, I am very grateful for your work, and I feel your pain. So, Allison, does it make it better that Chris appreciates you? 100%. Really? Absolutely. Do you, and you don't feel appreciated? I feel more appreciated now. <laughs> and he's a network star. He doesn't usually talk to cable people. He appreciates no, the little people. Not, that's not true. I talk to everybody. That's exactly right, Allison. Thank you. This is the step. This is a cry for help. You are the Andrew Cuomo of Fox News Radio. Wow. You know, a little while ago, that might be a style of leadership or a best-selling author. But now it means uh, we have about six sexual. No, I'm not talking about. Okay. Uh, Let me rephrase. Please. You're the Andrew Cuomo without the sex. You just create a hostile workplace. Right. Uh, or I just come into a hostile workplace and I do nothing to solve it. How about that? No, no. You create it. You, you're like the tinder. This is, this is unacceptable. That was a cry for help, and I very much appreciate it. I hope you will play that again because that, I don't know that you realize these guys spent a full week, spent your entire creative budget basically saying, thank you, somebody <laughs> has finally heard us. Through a comedy montage. I think that, you know, I think they were, uh, the, the joke was a little close to home. <laughs> okay, fine. I'm going to see, um, you know what, I'm going to I'm gonna meet with them uh, at one point. I just felt like, I like the fact that they're behind the glass. Do you know what I'm saying? Uh, let me just say this. If that is ever played for HR, you're gone. <laughs> you're, you're, <laughs> you're out of here. That's, right. That's, they don't know that's I have a radio show. So that's why I'm, I have a little bit of a swagger here. I'm much better behaved on TV. I know that you are. That's, it's so interesting. You are. But on the other hand, do they call that the, the Brian Kilmeade show? No, they don't. Fox and Friends. Yeah, exactly. But it's Fox News. They used to call this the Brian Kilmeade show. They used to call this Kilmeade and Friends. But I guess that, you know, the Friends part of it kind of went out the window. I finally, I, I'm just more comfortable alone. That's what it is. Well, I think you're headed in that direction. <laughs> so, Chris, now that I've solved my problems, selfish, yep. self-centered, arrogant, condescending. No, t- tyrannical. Tyrannical. Okay, fine. I should have brought the thesaurus in. Can we talk about what's happening now? 
Uh, a lot of people say the $1.9 trillion is a rescue package. Mitch McConnell says this. Cut 16. I think this is actually one of the worst pieces of legislation I've seen pass here in the time I've been in the Senate. Uh, we believe that the American people need to learn more and more about it. Will they? Or they, will they just look at the $1,400 checks and the $300 tax credits for kids under 17 and say, uh, Democrats, you win? Uh, I, it'll be very interesting to see. There are two sides to this story. There's no question. Um, you know, at least right now in the polls, uh, Democrats are winning. People, you know, people like free stuff. And if you're going to get $1,400 checks and, you know, God forbid you're unemployed, you get an extra $300 per week unemployment benefit. And you talk about the child tax credit and there's 20 some billion dollars in there for uh, restaurants and stuff that are hanging on by their fingernails. Uh, you know, people like that. On the other hand, I think it, it is perfectly legitimate to point out a lot of this has nothing to do with COVID, either public health or economic relief. Some of it won't be paid out for years. Um, you know, we'll see. At, at this point, if I just in a strictly political sense, not the merits, at this moment, I would rather play the Democrats' hand than the Republicans' hand. And we'll see what happens down the line. But don't you think it's yep. almost comical that they say what a negotiator Senator Schumer is when he didn't get one Republican vote? The House lost a Democratic vote. He's, he's a great negotiator because he dealt with moderate Democrats. Please don't label him a great negotiator. No, I, I agree with that. I, you know, the, I, I think uh, the decision that was made was a very conscious decision. We'll see if it turns out to be right or wrong is that, that they look back at what happened back in 2009 when Obama came in and they tried to negotiate a bipartisan package on the stimulus and they tried to negotiate a bipartisan package on Obamacare and they ended up giving up a lot of stuff and then uh, ended up having to pass it with pure uh, Democratic votes anyway. So I, I think they decided we're not, we're not going to fool around. We're just going to pass what we want and we'll take the consequences. And again, as you say, and I, I think it's a very open and interesting question. Short term, there's no question that the Democrats are the beneficiaries of this. You look at the polls, uh, I don't know, over 60 percent of people favor it. But again, people like free stuff. Uh, and, 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 you know, as we see over time, what does it do to inflation? What does it do to the markets? How, how is the money spent? Uh, does a lot of it go, you know, for cylindras as they did in 2009? Uh, the, the solar plant company, you know, the, the, the story may change. Kevin McCarthy, cut 17. It's not a COVID relief bill. This is a Bay Area bailout. Less than 9% of almost $2 trillion goes to COVID. You talk about money for schools, but two-thirds of that money can't be given to schools till 2023. And it goes on. There's money in this to preserve Native, language, Native American languages. So I, there's so much of this, there's nothing to do with it. If they came out and said, I'm going to jam a whole bunch of stuff in here to go along with it. But I'm watching network news. Now, you know, Bill Muir has got the number one network news. So I watched the replay. I'm up at 2.30. And I watched the new yeah, replay David, from 2.30. to Oh, sorry about that. Um, from 2.30 to 3. Bill Muir is an executive at my soccer club. Uh, he would not be a good news anchor. So from 2.30 to 3. And they they go ahead and say, here's the program, here's the money, not one Republican voted for it. Chris Wallace School of Journalism would at least say you have to at least put a line in there why they are not. 
And there are other things that have nothing to do with it. That maybe if you don't want to use the 9%, you could say much of which will not be spent this year. Could you add a nugget of $1 trillion is still left from past packages? Could you possibly put in addition to previous packages got bipartisan support? Why this uh, one ju- didn't? Let me just say to Allison, and I say this with respect and the, and the honor that one – co-worker pays to another, again, you know, the, the anti-Brian Kilmeade here, mark this because I agree with Brian on this particular one. Uh, you, you, you're right. And, and if you've watched Fox News Sunday the last few sure, weeks, whenever absolutely. I've had a Democrat on, I have, I've made exactly that point, that when you look at the, the money for schools, $64 billion from the previous uh, bailout package hasn't been spent yet, and a lot of this money doesn't get spent for years. And, you know, I've also talked about the fact, as you point out, that that a lot of it goes to museums and libraries. And, you know, those are all very worthy projects. But is that what you need as part of an American rescue plan? The other aspect of this, which is so interesting, is that is that as soon as this is passed sometime in the next, I think, couple of weeks, Biden is going to go finally before a joint session of Congress and he's going to call for a multi-trillion dollar uh, economic Stimulus plan. This is not economic stimulus. This was the COVID rescue plan. And, you know, I'm putting it in quotes. Now we're going to get the economic stimulus plan, which is going to be, quote, infrastructure, but it's going to include a lot of stuff for green energy and climate change and all of that. And, you know, now you're talking about we just passed one point nine trillion. Now we're going to pass another couple of trillion. The markets are very concerned about overheating the economy. I mean, one of the figures I had last week, which which I think is interesting, the economy is actually, I mean, it certainly took a hit, but the economy is only down about only, and I say that advisedly, $600 billion uh, in the last year from where it would have been GDP, from where it would have been if there had been no pandemic, according to the projections. But we're not spending the $600 billion to fill up the hole. We're spending three times that, $1.9 trillion. So there really is a question whether, you know, we, we have a, a, a one-gallon hole and we're filling it with a flood of, of, uh, of money. Uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting because, uh, Chris, could that be done through reconciliation because there's money involved in it? Yes. Okay. Oh, no. They, have, they apparently, before 2020, 2022, have uh, two more shots at reconciliation. Do I fully understand reconciliation and what well, I, I, you know, I understand it has to be involved with money in the budget, but I, you know, how many bites at the apple they get, I don't understand. But they apparently have two more shots, which means they have two more shots to have huge spending bills. And that means uh, tax increases because if guys like Angus King say, I can't spend any more money, if he's serious about that, he's a, an independent and caucuses with the Democrats. And Joe Manchin says the same thing. If they're serious about it, uh, then they're going to have to somehow uh, show tax increases. And let's see how the market reacts to that. Lastly, uh, it looks like 28 – how much – what is the number now of people that have said, lawmakers that have said that Governor Cuomo must go? And I believe the number is 78. They're not saying they're going to vote for impeachment. They're saying that he should resign. Where do you think we're going to be? Do you think anything happens before the AG report comes out? Probably not. And, you know, I mean, this last case uh, that's in the Albany Times Union about a sixth accuser who was a 
and 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 this is maybe the most uh, distressing. All very quickly, it's a woman who works, I think, currently in a staff, and she was watching the news conference where he said, "I never touched anybody inappropriately," and and she started to cry. And one of her coworkers said, "What's the matter?" And it turned out she said that last year, I think it was last December, so not so long ago, was summoned to the governor's mansion supposedly to help him fix his phone, and he shut the door and groped her. Um, you know, you, you you have to wonder whether you reach a tipping point, but he says, I'm not going to resign and that he's going to wait for the investigation. He's a tough guy. I think it's possible that he's going to wait for the investigation uh, unless the steady drumbeat continues, at which point maybe, you know, he just thinks this is killing me and killing my reputation, which is done in pretty yeah. bad shape already. And and again, yeah. I, I, I call you the Andrew, the abusive employer just without the sex part. Thank you. Uh, I'm thoroughly insulted, but I don't have any time to really react. Chris, you have any guests? Uh, I do. Dr. Anthony Fauci, uh, on the first anniversary, we're going to talk to a Republican uh, senator, not quite booked yet, about exactly the questions you asked about the COVID relief, too much of a good thing, and also what's going on at the border. The most political doctor in the history of doctorship. Chris Wallace, thanks so much. Anchor of Fox News Sunday. We will watch on Sunday, we promise. And staff, thank you. Thank you very much. Ah. I appreciate your work. (laughs) Back in a moment. It's Brian Kilmeade. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Now, there's been a big change between last year and this year, and that changes Joe Biden. And what we're seeing is this administration's policies are acting as a magnet, and they are creating a full-blown humanitarian crisis at the border. Trafficking is up through the roof. It is through the roof, the exploitation of children, and this administration is doing nothing. They're looking the other way, and as you say, President, he won't even have a news conference. I mean, he won't answer any questions at all. The least he can do is actually send his administration chiefs to to Capitol Hill and make them answer questions. What are they going to do about this crisis? You know, just looking the other way is not a policy. Wow, that is uh, Senator Josh Hawley, obviously. Michael, listening on WABC on Long Island. Michael, you think the whole Governor Cuomo thing's a distraction from the border? Actually, what I was thinking was that the suspicious timing of these accusations, none of these accusations of the sexual harassment are new. They all seem to be a little bit old. The timing is that there was a huge bombshell drop on the Governor Cuomo administration about the nursing home scandal. These are criminal accusations of obstruction of justice where people may go to jail. These sexual harassment allegations don't seem to be criminal in nature where nobody's going to go to jail. I actually think that this is actually a distraction. Look at what we're doing over here. Don't think about what happened last month. Yeah, he does have an attorney for the nursing homes, but he doesn't have one for a sexual allegation as as a legal spokesperson. So they're up to six now. Possibly, all I know is this, uh... How the mighty have fallen. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. 
Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. We know what Xi Jinping is trying to do because he says it and he writes it all the time. He believes that the Chinese Communist Party is leaning in international, ideological, and political contest to shape a world order to fulfill the China dream so that China can resume what he he believes is its spot atop that order. And that necessarily comes at the expense of not only the system that we've built with our allies and partners since World War II, which led to the greatest era of peace and prosperity in history, but also at the expense of our security, our prosperity, our freedom, and now our public health. It took a long time for the United States to wake up to that fact, but now it seems that everyone realizes it's going on. The question is, what are we going to do about it? Very interesting. Uh, that's Josh Rogan. Uh, he has uh, written a book on this, and he was talking about this on another channel yesterday, and I wanted to share that. Do you believe that is the focus? We know this. Uh, there's going to be a meeting in Alaska, kind of an interesting place to go, with the Secretary of State Blinken and the President's, uh, uh, obviously, the new Secretary of State, and Jake Sullivan is a key advisor. Um, and spokesperson Ned Price will na- have announced a meeting. Uh, to talk about these things with their Chinese counterparts in Alaska uh, this week. Joining us now, not from Alaska, Ian Bremer, president of the Eurasia Group and uh, G-Zero Media. Uh, Ian, welcome back. Hey, good to be with you, man. Hey, I know you just wrote about Turkey, but i got to ask you about another area of your expertise, and that is China. Do you believe that that is the focus now? Go, you know, go beat America, win the battle of ideas and dominance now? Um, I, I mean, the Chinese are much more focused on China than they are in the United States. I mean, you know, ditto us, right? At the end of the day, you spend time in Beijing, you understand that their problems, their concerns, their economy is overwhelmingly what's driving them. But there's much more confidence on the international stage. And it's also much more willingness to go out and say, hey, our model is just as good as the American model. In many ways, our model performs better, and they do want to compete with us in in the uh, in the area of ideas. Uh, you know, the, their view of uh, getting their supply chain back up and running by May in the pandemic last year, the fact that their economy was the only major economy in the world that grew last year, and the fact that they can now export vaccines around the world, those are all things they're leaning into to promote their story. And, uh, and and we're going to need to compete more effectively to make sure that people don't buy that. Very interesting, because, you know, we are vaccinating this country first, and Russia and China are doing their best to export their vaccine. But if you talk to the Brazilians, the Chinese vaccine, not too effective. Uh, less effective, clearly. Uh, I mean, look, the, the great story here is that there are lots of countries that have effective vaccines. Uh, the United States leading the way, uh, and Moderna and Pfizer are by far the most effective vaccines out there. But you know, even the Sputnik V vaccine works well in a peer-reviewed study in the Lancet. Like if that's all that we had in the United States, we'd take it. And the Indians uh, are producing vaccines and exporting them. So that when we're, if you had me back in a year's time we wouldn't be worried so much about Chinese export because there are going to be so many vaccines that so many countries are producing. It's just going to become a marketplace. And that's a much better place to be as opposed to the Americans versus China uh, Mm -hmm. trying to get other countries to say, you've got to use ours. No, you've got to use ours. Yeah. uh, Ian Bremer, our guest. Ian, uh, we still don't have an answer of how this whole thing started. How important is that? I mean, it's important to me individually. It should be important to the country. It seems as though in many ways, Considering that China is solely responsible for it, 
for them to get away with not telling us how it started and giving us a heads up is really something beyond comprehension. I, look, I, I completely agree with that point, Brian. Um, the fact is that the Chinese government for a month not only was covering up the human-to-human transmission to their own people, never mind to everyone else, but hundreds of thousands of Chinese from Wuhan were leaving China during that period of time. This, was, this obviously would have been a very different story nowhere near the global catastrophe if the Chinese had been accountable, had been transparent with their own people, with the WHO, with the rest of the world. But if you read the Josh Rogan piece on this, and I did, I think one of the most interesting things is we had access to that lab in Wuhan, and we lost access because of the trade fight that we leaned into. And we had Americans that were raising the alarm two years before, and no one listened to them. It reminded me of 9-11, you know, in some ways, where you had people that were saying, hey, this is a problem. We need to pay attention. And, you know, they're just not getting the attention or the resources. So we do have to recognize that we cut off our nose a bit despite our face on this. Yeah, I, I want you to hear a little bit more uh, from Josh Rogan on this. And he talks about the, the Biden approach to China. There is a growing realization, and it's because there's a growing realization in America. And we are in a democracy, and at some point our leaders have to respond to the people. And the polling shows, especially due to the pandemic, which is a, the worst tragedy of modern history, Americans are waking up to the fact that what happens in Beijing doesn't stay in Beijing. And we have to keep our eye on what the Chinese government is doing, because now it affects our security and prosperity and public health. We don't know what the Biden administration is going to do about it, because they don't know what they're going to do about it. And we're going to find out, I guess, in round one in Alaska this week. But you can't ignore it. And the good news is, you know, you don't have to sell any war or tell people why they should care about Iraq or Afghanistan. You don't have to tell the average American that China matters. Right, Ian? That's right. And and even though the China policy review that is presently underway will be a minimum of two or three months before it's actually concluded, and I think it's appropriate that they're taking the most important relationship in the world and and the biggest security concern of the United States. They're taking it seriously. They're taking their time. That's a useful thing. But we've already seen uh, in the statements that have been made with Joe Biden before he talks to Xi Jinping, saying that Xi Jinping doesn't have a Democrat. We've seen very clearly the statements from Blinken, Secretary Blinken, yesterday saying the U.S. will defend our national interests, stand up for our democratic values, and hold Beijing accountable for its abuses of the international system. Uh, The strongest statement about China that I've seen uh, so far from this administration. And you're right that, of course, Blinken and Sullivan are going to be meeting with their counterparts in in, in China, uh, in Alaska next week. But before that, Biden is going to have a meeting directly with the Quad, with Japan, with Australia, with India, with America's core strategic partners in Asia. That's a higher level meeting. It's happening before. It sends a very clear message to the Chinese government that uh, there is bipartisan agreement in the United States right now that uh, China is the most important national security threat to America, and the Americans are going to have to respond. How we choose to respond and to what extent that strategy is about containment as opposed to continued interdependence. I think there's a lot to be said for both of those strategies, and that fight is happening right now inside the administration. 
True. Uh, in fact, to back up what you just said, Admiral Phil Davidson, uh, the commander of the United States Indo-Pacific uh, Command, he's got a lot on his plate and knows exactly well, where his challenge is. Cut 33. Uh, how do you feel about our ability right now to defend Taiwan? Well, sir, as I articulated in my opening comments, I think our, our conventional deterrent is actually eroding in the region. And it's because of the, the vast advances on the charts that you were just looking at that the Chinese have um, undertaken in both terms of capacity over the last 20 years, and then in the next few years, the improvements they'll make in their capabilities as well. And, you know, the theory goes on that within six years, they're going to make a move on Taiwan. At what case, it's going to be, what is your move, United States? Yeah, I mean, you've seen in Hong Kong already, which, of course, is, you know, part of China, but they've, they've unilaterally ended the one state, two systems policy that they had agreed to, and it's because they can. And, and certainly as the military balance changes, and Taiwan is critical for semiconductor supply chain, and the Americans are leaning into sanctions, not allowing the Chinese, mainland Chinese, to have access uh, to that company for national security concerns, pressure on China to resolve Taiwan over time is going to grow. And, uh, and by the way, it's not clear that all of the American allies are on board with the United States for continued confrontation with China. I mean, it's one thing to get the Democrats and Republicans to agree. It's another when you talk about Asian economies for whom China is overwhelmingly the dominant trade partner or for European allies who look at China and don't share the national security concerns that the United States has. That's going to make it a lot harder. Ian, what do you recommend? For example, I know you can analyze. I know your contacts are great globally. And this is deal. You know, this is in our they are pretty much on our unofficial enemies list. How do you deal with somebody that doesn't care about spending, doesn't have to worry about public opinion? And their goal is economic and military dominance. Right now, we have the lead in both areas. What would you recommend if Joe Biden said, Ian, I need to see you? We're, we are about to turn from the one point nine trillion dollars. Um, to a large amount of legislation on China. It's really going to, what we see Congress in the next month is going to frame how we're treating the Chinese. I would like to see a lot more carrots for the American workers, the American people, the American industry, R&D, than I see sticks against China. In other words, I think the best way to beat the Chinese is to outcompete them. I think if they've got Belt and Road, we need something like Belt and Road that's better. If, if they're uh, you know, hiring massive numbers of people and educating them for cyber, we should be doing more of that. We should be improving our research and development into the core technologies. It can't just be through the private sector. The government has to do a part of that as well. It's going to have to be strategic. You know, I mean, we beat the Soviets um, in the, with the Manhattan Project and, uh, because we invested in it. And the government's going to have to invest. If we simply have a policy of saying we're going to try to contain and destroy companies like Huawei. The Chinese economy is big enough. Their ability to invest is big enough that they'll just lean more into doing this stuff themselves. And, and they will. I mean, the problem with 5G is that we cut off the Chinese, but we don't actually have an effective competition for Chinese 5G right now because we've underinvested. That should not be the case. I know. Uh, absolutely. And we just telling everyone not to take theirs, but where's ours? Uh, exactly. Ian, you wrote about Turkey. Why, why should we keep an eye on Turkey? You, the headline is how their erratic rule, how Erdogan's erratic rule in Turkey presents a risk to the world. I mean, I know they're mixing, matching, uh, staying in NATO, basically in name only. Yeah, it's, it's because as excited as, as we should be about the U.S. economy really turning it on right now, 
their, their inflation is going to go up around the world. Credit is going to become tighter. And for less uh, economically robust countries, particularly that are led by erratic leaders, they're going to be under a lot more pressure. Um, unemployment is about 14% in Turkey right now. Inflation is in double digits. There's been a lot of capital flight. And Erdogan's approval rating and his party's approval rating down below 30% right now for the first time ever. Anyone that's watched Erdogan knows that when he's under that kind of pressure, that's when he lashes out, both domestically against his own enemies, real and perceived, but also internationally. And we've seen the Turks, our allies, our nominal allies in NATO, pressuring the Greeks on the eastern Mediterranean, threatening war, supporting Azerbaijan in a war against Armenia and winning. Um, with troops on the ground in northern Syria fighting against American proxies uh, there in Libya, uh, causing instability. And, and this is an area of the world that the United States wants to do less in, not more. So watching Turkey carefully in that environment with an Erdogan that feels increasingly besieged and isolated, he can't lose a democratic election because, you know, he and his family would be jailed for corruption. So it's one of these situations where he's just going to double down. Michael Hanlon writes today, uh, why uh, staying in Afghanistan is the least bad choice for Joe Biden. Do you agree with that? No, I'm not sure I do. Uh, 20 years on, I, I'd, I'd like to see the United States actually have a plan for getting out. Uh, I think it's, first of all, as you say, unlike with China, you've got to make the argument to Americans, why are we continuing to send American young men and women to go and risk their lives, not to mention all the PTSD. They come back and the Veterans Administration doesn't take care of them adequately. People are tired, they've gotten angry. And, uh, and, and I think that uh, we can provide humanitarian assistance. There are mercenaries on the ground and contractors from the United States that are helping with security. But uh, the fact is that the Afghan war, a, a forever war that truly is just an American garrison there for, for decades and decades, I don't think is the solution for the United States. See, I do, and here's why. Uh, I think the American people remember 20 years where the attack came from, and they know the presence is legitimately still there by all sources. And by us sitting there and keeping a periscope, at least eyes on the situation, we could absolutely prevent the next attack and understand where it could be coming from. Your thought? I, I, I think that uh, we are not going to stop engaging in intelligence collection. We're not going to stop engaging in drone strikes when we have targets uh, that are terrorists, that are threats to ourselves and our allies. And I think that will continue. But I, I, I think you don't need to have thousands of U.S. boots on the ground in order to affect that outcome. You realize China moves in, uh, Iran moves in, and maybe even Russia to a degree when we move out, right? Uh, you know, Afghanistan is a comparatively poor, weak, very hard-to-govern country. The Soviets learned that lesson very badly when they had to leave bruised and bloodied in uh, the 80s uh, under, under Gorbachev. Um, and I, I think that the Chinese, as much as they're excited about lithium mining, for example, and building roads, you'll see that the, uh, the Chinese have already taken on much more debt that isn't sustainable in the Belt and Road countries. I'd be surprised. I, gotcha. I think, you know, if the United States, uh, we had no problem leaving Pakistan. 
which China has now gobbled up. And that has created much more significant challenges for the United States, in my view, a much more substantial economy and a government that's actually much more capable of working with the United States. So if all we're concerned about is we're losing influence to other countries that we don't like, there are better ways of pursuing that and more countries we need to commit to than Afghanistan. Got it. Uh, Ian Bremmer, president of the Eurasia Group, G Zero Media. Uh, you see his show on public television, too. Thanks so much, Ian. Brian, talk to you soon, man. All right, 1-866-408-7669. Brian Kilmeade Show. It's Brian Kilmeade. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. I'm looking into now, again, what is what is my leadership role? Because I do I do think I have some things to teach and share. And what is my te- what is my what is my role? What's my category in my next chapter of life that I'm going into now? Should your next leadership role ever include you, you know, running for governor of this wonderful state, we'd be very happy. Right. But don't answer that. I'm not asking that question. I, I hear you. It's, I'm it's, not asking. It's, it's a true consideration. I don't know what she means she's not asking. Why wouldn't you ask that question? You got a great answer from it, right? I would agree. I don't know. Maybe something was said prior to the interview or prior to that cut saying, I'm not going to talk about it. I'm not sure, but. Don't want that to be the main story. Brian, listen to WRCN in Suffolk County, New York. Hey, hey, Brian. Yeah, that guy, Ian, I, uh, I, agreed, I agreed with some of the things you had to say. Um, very smart but- guy, very well read, great international context. What's on your mind? Well, I mean, for him to say that, you know, we bit off our nose despite our face because we're holding China accountable for intellectual theft, uh, I feel like that's a little short-sighted. And uh, hindsight's twenty twenty on that. I mean, uh, once again, it's our fault. It's our fault that, that China um, let a global pandemic escape their country, and it almost looks like they pushed it so that they wouldn't have to incur the uh, – But, Brian, remember that was the first question I asked him, and he said, yeah, we have to get to the bottom of that. But the rest of the stuff – we kind of clashed a little bit. But I just like to bring really smart people on with unbelievable contacts just to expand all of our conversations. And that's what's so great about Ian. Thanks, Brian. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Thanks Kilmeade. Thanks so much for listening, everybody from New York, heard around the country, around the world. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Thank you for being here one year to the day since the coronavirus shutdown lockdown began. And, you know, a place like Florida, it shut down, then it opened up. Places like California, still waiting, still waiting. New York. Little by little, maybe, who knows? Governor Cuomo just announced the quarantine for domestic travel will no longer be required. How farcical is this? The numbers are higher in New York than Florida or from other states uh, and almost every state. But yet when you come in, you have to quarantine. But when you go anywhere else from New York, they don't have these structures and these uh, and these restrictions. But now New York will loosen up 
starting April 1st, but they'll still make you fill out the form. Great. What a great use of the National Guard. Total waste, total party politics. It's about red state, blue state. Senator John Corn will be joining us shortly. He has just um, he has just back from the border. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. It appears that you give validation to something that he has uttered that is racist. I feel like uh, I'm about to be put in the electric chair because I have a friend who many people think is a racist, so that makes me a racist. What's it got to do with me? Sharon Osbourne defending Pierce Morgan, who's not a racist. American cancel culture bleeding overseas as Europe guards against it, and the UK gets infected by it. Two more get cut, I'll explain. Number two, surges tend to respond to hope. And there was a significant hope for a more humane policy after four years of, you know, pent up demand. So I don't know whether I would call that a coincidence. Demand? Demand to come across our border illegally? Pent up demand? Yeah, there's a pent up demand to knock off that liquor store. Now that we've uh, told the cops to go home, now they're acting out. Who would have thought? That's Roberta Jackson. A poor excuse for a coordinator for the southern border. President Biden bungles the border and ripple effects through the border states and through Mexico and Central and South American region. As they are saying, as the saying goes, to get help, you got to admit you have a problem. Right now, the administration says we have no problem. Number one. There is light at the end of this dark tunnel in the past year. But we cannot let our guard down now or assume that victory is inevitable. Together, we're going to get through this pandemic and usher in a healthier and more hopeful future. At least that's what the prompter says. One year since America shut down and there are more and more promising signs we're ready to pull out of this. And now we got a $1.9 trillion rescue package that rescues nothing but maybe the Democratic Party. Joining us now, Senator John Corner, Judiciary, Finance and Intelligence Committee's uh, key member on the Republican side. Senator, welcome back. Thanks, Brian. Good to be with you. Senator, do you go to the border today or yesterday? Actually, I'm going tomorrow back, but of course, I've been to the border many, many times, and we've seen this movie before, Brian. Uh, If you remember when uh, President Obama called a similar surge in unaccompanied minors and others seeking asylum in the United States a humanitarian uh, nightmare, and uh, that's what this is, and it is striking that uh, the administration doesn't even consider this to be anything other than a, a challenge. I think they're in denial. And they don't really understand the the forces that they've unleashed here on top of the pandemic. And uh, I think it's a dangerous situation. You know, I'm talking to Congressman Cuellar on Monday. I know you respect him, Democrat. And he mm-hmm. was he was offended. If I you know, just by the, he said, I cannot believe Susan Rice sends a delegation down there to examine the border. I'm on the border. That, those are my people. I've studied this. No one even asked me or told me they were coming. Have you ever seen such a stiff arm? No, I think, and it's and they're causing themselves unnecessary uh, damage. I mean, we need to work together to try to get in front of this problem, but it's going to take some changes in the law, um, things like uh, that Congressman Cuellar and I are doing to process, for example, unaccompanied children claiming asylum while they're still being held by Health and Human Services. That rather than releasing people as we are now into the interior of the country, telling them to come back in a couple of years. Uh, There's 1.2 million backlogged immigration cases before the immigration courts. Half of the people who uh, are given a notice to appear in the future don't show up. 
the, the, the smugglers and the people who profit from this have cracked the code. They've figured out how to navigate the gaps and problems in American law, and we need to try to work together on a bipartisan basis to fix it. But right now there doesn't seem to be the will on the part of the Biden administration to do anything to stem the flow. But it's like they – I can't figure out whether they under, they're in over their heads or they just don't care enough. Because what you do immediately is you go to the State Department. I need my, my key guys or women down to uh, Ecuador, down to El Salvador, uh, down to Guatemala, down to Honduras to go meet with those government officials to find out what the advertising is on the ground and tell them your aid is cut off or you could choose to enhance it if depending on their needs unless this stops. And yeah. then you and then you empower the Border Patrol. But this is what I like about it, Senator. It's not you a Republican against a Democratic president. The Mexican president, a socialist, this president uh, Labrador, who got along with our president, foreign president so, so well, he said Mexico says the Biden asylum policies are boosting illegals and the cartels. Here's the quote. They see him, meaning Biden, as the migrant president. We need to work together to regulate the flow because the business can't be tackled from one day to the next so they see the ineptness and the danger well and uh, president lopez obrador knows that mexico is bearing the burden of people traveling through their country as well so that's why he agreed with president trump to this migrant protection program which allowed uh, up to twenty-five thousand people who were claiming asylum in the united states to remain in mexico that's another contributing factor to the problem we're seeing on the border now it seems like the the main um, principle, if you could call it that, that guides the uh, administration's uh, behavior is whatever Trump did, we're going to do the opposite. And they haven't planned for nor thought through what are the consequences of that. Listen, we, we were there. We, I was at the border. You live there in Texas, Senator. And I saw how bad it was. And that was an administration trying to solve the problem. I can't imagine an administration not trying to solve the problem. That's the scary thing. Yeah. Uh, and so we, we discussed that. So when you go to the border, besides a high-ranking senator going to the border, what, do you, what are you going to be looking for? Well, first of all, we're going to talk to the folks in Carrizo Springs that are trying to figure out how to accommodate these unaccompanied children as they're being processed and see what they what they need. But you can imagine in an age of COVID-19, there's not a heck of a lot of social distancing going on. There, people are being packed in because they're simply overwhelming uh, the capacity. The other thing we're going to do is talk to people who live in those border communities. They're being overwhelmed, too. They're having to provide resources to these migrants to help deal with this uh, with this uh, influx of humanity uh, due to what the federal government is not doing. And I do think it's a combination of being uh, really uh, in denial over what their policies, uh, what the implications of their policies are, and just being detached from the people who know best about the problem and how to solve it. And that is the folks in our border communities and people who represent border states, um, and they're not talking to us. Uh, yeah, so far they're not. Uh, we actually know how to solve it. So this $1.9 trillion package was sent, uh, was, uh, was going to be signed by the president, but it's all done. Jen Psaki described it this way. Cut 14. We're about to pass a historic, okay. the most progressive bill in American history. And the president will sign it on Friday. So progressive bill in American history. I can't imagine uh, it working to anyone's political benefit to call it the most progressive bill, just as it would be folly 
if President Trump said we just signed the greatest conservative tax cut ever? Yeah, it's they're having a problem staying on message, uh, although uh, the press secretary was uh, channeling uh, Bernie Sanders, who said the same thing. He said it was the most progressive bill he's ever seen passed since he's been in the Senate. Um, but we all know what the facts are. I think we just need to try to address the uh, the, the PR campaign that's going to be uh, the President Biden and, and folks who voted in favor of this Trojan horse. Uh, there is so much money being spent here, and so much of it is unrelated to COVID-19 that even economists like Larry Summers say you're, you're, you're threatening the country with inflation because you're pouring so much money into the American economy at a time when it's finally – uh, beginning to recover from the pandemic. So it, it was completely reckless, but this gave him a chance to jam it through, notwithstanding uh, President Biden's talk about unity and healing the divisions in the country. Um, Nancy Pelosi and uh, Chuck Schumer want none of it. They just want power. They want to jam things through if they can, and unfortunately they did. And I understand infrastructure is next, and that also can be passed on reconciliation. Is that correct? Well, it's it's tricky. It's tricky because but reconciliation is supposed to be limited to budget budgetary matters. And as you saw, the the fifteen dollar minimum wage mandate fell by the wayside, as did the uh, tunnel in yeah. in California, the bridge in New York. So uh, it's tricky. But we're we're starting to already see some Democrats uh, and some independents, like Angus King, who caucuses with the Democrats, say, you know, we're racking up so much federal debt here. Somebody's going to have to pay that money back. The question is, is it going to be me and our generation or our, the next generation and beyond? So I think there are even some Democrats starting to uh, uh, have some uh, concerns about the spending splurge. And, and I think it does jeopardize uh, some of these other things that logically uh, would be bipartisan, like infrastructure, uh, immigration reform, if we could try to figure out how to get some things done there. But all of this sort of go it alone, uh, my way or the highway, partisan legislating that we've seen so far from this administration and this majority in the Senate and the House, I think are, are undermining our ability to try to actually get things done on a bipartisan basis. Senator, Senator Scott's in charge of getting the Senate back to being Republican. You guys got to defend, I think, 20 seats. Yeah, and Senator yeah. Blunt is going to retire now, too. Right. So I guess it's another... How how hard is this task? You you've dealt with this before. You've been in, in that spot before. Yeah. Yeah, I think you know, we just need to recruit good candidates and the good news is there are a lot of great there's a lot of great talent out there and I know Senator Scott and all of us will be working to try to encourage the best and the brightest uh to run for these seats. Um and then um but I do think that the excesses of the current administration and the backlash I think you're gonna see across the country. I mean they sent stimulus checks, Brian, to people who were inmates in and in incarcerated in prison. We tried to get that stripped out of the bill and they voted against it. And so a lot of this stuff I think is gonna come back to bite them and uh it'll unify Republicans and conservatives and common sense independents. And I think uh, 2022, uh, if we do a good job recruiting, should be a good year. It could be. It's not, it's going to be. Uh, it's not going to be a layup. Um, and, no. And then, of course, you, you're within striking distance in the House. A lot of people are getting real nervous. He has 53% approval rating right now. But when you see the jobs lost in this green agenda, and now you see the 1.9 trillion when we just gave them nine, gave the government 900 billion. Uh, I'm I'm wondering how much worse that can this can get. 
uh, in the next two years, Senator. So, scary. Yeah, I, I am. And I know you're always so calm under pressure. Uh, <laughs> and I'm not even talking about Republican or Democrat. I'm scared for the country because yeah. I just don't think they uh, – I am not sure who's running this place. Yeah, it's they. Uh, I'm not sure Joe Biden's in complete control, and but he, and he's surrounded with a bunch of pretty radical people who I think are pressing him. And uh, so far, uh, Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi have just had their foot on the gas and just uh, have, don't see any signs of them taking it off. And lastly, I know you got to run, but Senator, is this the same Joe Biden you work with for 20 years? Or is he? You know, Joe Biden is really a nice man and a likable guy. Um, unfortunately, that he sort of masks the radicalism in his administration. And as I said earlier, I'm not sure he's in complete charge of uh, of what's going on there. I know when a number of Republicans went up to talk about the stimulus bill, offered a $600 billion alternative, uh, they had a nice conversation with the president. Meanwhile, the chief of staff was shaking his head no during the whole time. So you begin to wonder, like, who is in control of what's happening there? And unfortunately, I think uh, I know the answer. Yeah, the old Biden would have been in control, right? Yes. Gotcha. Senator, I know you got to run. Thanks so much for your time. Good luck at the border. Talk Thanks, to you Brian. after. Take care. You got it. Admiral James Sarvitas at the bottom of the hour. You're next. 1-866-408-7669. We'll talk cancel culture, too. Giving you everything you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Piers Morgan was all of us when he was uh, dressing down Meghan Markle and calling her out on the blatant lies that she's told. Uh, she can't even keep her story straight, by the way. If anybody remembers, about three years ago, she said on the panel that she does not read newspapers, that she does not check social media because she doesn't like to read stories about her. Well, apparently that's not true because she's now telling everybody that she was suicidal because of bad press, that it's because of racism, even though she's not even, you know, you look at her, you would not be able to discern just by looking at Meghan Markle that she's black. And so what they're basically saying is that you're not allowed to critique Meghan Markle. And, and for her to put in this phone call to have his voice silenced because she's unhappy with the press that's being sent about her, which, by the way, is felt across the globe. She's a typical leftist narcissist. Uh, that is uh, Candace Owens letting everybody know that uh, criticizing Meghan Markle should not get you canceled, even though it may have gotten for temporarily Pierce Morgan canceled. He got 41,000 complaints because he said everything about her. He doesn't believe a word she said. He stormed off his own set, which is never wise, and then decided, you know what, I quit my morning show, which evidently he revitalized. And he was got paid for his opinions. He gives his opinions. And now, get this, they have essentially a word police. They are investigating him. What do you mean you're investigating him? What does that have to do with it? Why are you investigating him? So among the people that stood up for him was Nigel, uh, excuse me, Sharon Osbourne. Listen to the heat she got just for standing up to him. Uh, Cut 28. Everybody has a right to say what they feel with freedom of speech. Did I like everything he said? Did I agree with what he said? No. Because it's his opinion. It's not my opinion. What would you say to people who may feel that... You, while you're standing by your friend, it appears that you give validation or safe haven to something that he has uttered that is racist. 
Even even if you don't agree, am I am I what saying it right? He, okay, am I saying? I don't know what he's uttered that's racist. I feel even mm -hmm. like uh, I'm about to be put in the electric chair because I have a friend who many people think is a racist, so that makes me a racist. What's well, it got I, to do with me? And he's not a racist. What he said is he doesn't believe her. He doesn't believe the uh, the royal family is racist. It's nuts. It's crazy. Rich, listen on WABC. Rich. Hey, Brian. Brian, thank you for taking my call. No problem. Help me get, help me get through this. I'm not a public speaker. We're, be, we're being duped again. Being duped again slowly. Uh, within the last two weeks, there's been a surge at the border. There's cases coming through. And within the last two weeks, the media and the government have also started normalizing the reopening of the country. Is, is that true what I'm saying? Normalizing what? They're normalizing the reopening of the country. It's allowed to talk about reopening. Yeah. They're talking about the schools reopening, the economy reopening. So they're starting with normalizing reopening. Do you agree with that? Yeah, they are, and and they should. And you're saying that that coincides with opening up the border? Yeah, no, yes, it does. Because what they're going to do next, because they're spread, the federal government is responsible for this COVID spike that's coming and any possible close down. It's all their fault. Yeah. I don't know. Local governments, too. We've got 18 states without a mask mandate. Maryland's about to open. New Jersey's opening up more. Connecticut. Uh, we know about Texas. And they're going to be looking into doing something in Ohio. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him. You love him. You want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Uh, how do you feel about our ability right now to defend Taiwan? Well, sir, as I articulated in my opening comments, I think our, our conventional deterrent is actually eroding in the region. It's because of the, the vast advances on the charts that you were just looking at that the Chinese have um, undertaken in both terms of capacity over the last 20 years. And then in the next few years, the improvements they'll make in their capabilities as well. And that uh, was no uh, minor officer. That officer was really in charge of the entire reason. Uh, that is Admiral Philip Davidson on Capitol Hill on Tuesday. And he is the commander of the United States Indo-Pacific Command. Joining us now, a man who has used to have a lot of responsibility on his shoulders, close to 40 years in the military, Admiral James Stavridis, former Supreme Allied Commander of NATO amongst his many titles. He co-authored a brand-new novel really based on the reality we're living in, and it's called 2034, a novel. Uh, and the, basically the book looks at uh, a novel of the next world war. He wrote it with Elliot Ackerman and joins us now. Admiral, welcome back. Congratulations on the launch of the book. Well, thank you, Brian. It's done quite well. We hit number seven wow. on the Amazon national bestseller list combined, fiction and nonfiction. I think we might have been higher, except there were a couple Dr. Seuss books up there. I know. And Dana Perino, don't forget, too, which is... Oh, my God. She's number one. Yes. Uh, and we can't ban any of your books because this book is a novel, but it's based on everything you know. Yeah. And it's based on you assessing where China is and where they're going, isn't it? 
It really is, and you heard it uh, firsthand from the officer, four-star Navy Admiral, my equivalent. When I was Supreme Allied Commander of NATO, I kind of had Europe and Asia, or East Asia, and then this officer, Admiral Phil Davidson, has the Pacific. So he's the top guy. He's looking at all the intelligence, and listen to what he just said. China's rising both in capacity, that means numbers of ships, and capability, they're bringing cyber, they're bringing new techniques and stealth, they're uh, alternating on their uh, various tactical maneuvering. So uh, China is really stepping up their game, and we better do the same. They just took over uh, Hong Kong, uh, officially, basically, took it over their elections, which means they're in total control. Indeed. And, and of course, it's a violation of what they promised. They promised when the British handed it over that for 50 years it would be sacrosanct to do something like this. And they also promised that forever it would be one nation, two systems, that Hong Kong would have a, yeah. a very special arrangement. Well, that's gone. And I'll tell you who's watching that more closely than anybody, Brian, and you know this, is Taiwan. You believe that within you believe I think within six years China's going to look to neutralize that country, take that country, uh, take Formosa back. I think that is a real possibility, and the only reason they haven't made that move so far is number one, we're there, we still have. Uh, military capability. And number two, they don't quite know what our reaction is going to be. We've been ambiguous. Um, I think it's probably time to get out of the ambiguous game and start aligning ourselves very directly with Taiwan, because otherwise China will come rolling in there. And I think Admiral Davidson addressed that yesterday and said within the next six years, he expects that is a real possibility. So yesterday, Jen Psaki announced a China summit in Alaska for next week with the Secretary of State and the Chinese um, uh, of the same role as China, matching roles. They're going to have a, a delegation meet in Alaska. What's going to be, if, if Admiral Stavridis was there, what would be the first thing you bring up? I think the first thing I would bring up would be uh, the Chinese behavior in the South China Sea, their question that their their belief that they own the entire South China Sea. I think that's the biggest uh distinction difference between the U.S. and China right now. And that's where the novel 2034, a novel of the next world war, it starts in the South China Sea. Secondly, I would bring up Hong Kong. Uh, thirdly, I'd bring up uh, the trade and tariff imbalances that we've been living under with China. So it's a pretty rich agenda. Uh, Secretary Blinken will meet with the, the Minister of Foreign Affairs of China. Um, I think they'll prepare the ground for a summit between President Biden and President Xi. Uh, President Biden has to take a tough line with China because they are they are the looming tower uh, headed our way. We need to be ready. We do. And we're going to bring up climate change first. First, the pandemic. We'd like to know how it started. Uh, number two, climate yeah. change is going to be number two, which is scary to think that'll be number two, mm -hmm. as if China is going to stop using coal. And then China's behavior when it comes to yeah. Hong Kong, that's a list is number three. Uh, yeah. So uh, I'm not sure how much progress they want to make will make. Do you think they're emerging out of this stronger than us? 
they are emerging stronger than they were before the pandemic, I think is the right way to put it. Their economy has bounced back. They've controlled the pandemic because they have brutal authoritarian tools at their disposal. We don't have those, nor should we. And as a result, however, they quickly got out of the medical uh, phase of this thing, and their economy has come back very, very quickly. They've got uh, a bounce in their step, if you will, and they are gonna, they're going to be uh, very uh, difficult uh, negotiators for us coming out of this pandemic. And by the way, we really should uh, hold them to account for what has happened here. And um, they have not sufficiently explained the events surrounding the origin and the uh, eventual release of this pathogen into the world. Yeah, that would help come up. So so now we know you don't have to alert the American people to the fact that your novel is a real could be a reality, and that is an ultimate military clash with the Chinese. What are some of the escalating things that could happen that would lead us to war in your book? Um, Where it starts, and again, it's set about 15 years into the future, is in the South China Sea. U.S. is doing a freedom of navigation patrol, driving our ships through what we consider international waters. China undertakes an attack on those ships. We then respond in a pretty significant way. China then strikes back against us and our ships. And it it's a ladder of escalation, each side taking it up a notch. I don't want to give anything away here, but the possibility of seeing a tactical nuclear weapon being used is a big one. And another one, Brian, that we talk a lot about in the book, and you and I have talked about many times, is cyber and cybersecurity. China is uh, developing uh, deeply, deeply dangerous offensive cyber capabilities. Uh, They'll overtake Russia in that regard over the next few years, and especially as quantum computing comes online toward the end of this decade. They're very expert in that. So look for cyber, look for escalation, a lot of danger. It's a a fast-paced novel because I think it will be a fast-paced war if, God forbid, we get into a war with China. 37 years in the Navy, it's not like you got to go to a lot of libraries to understand how this will go. A lot of stuff you just know. But where did you go to to war game this out? Um, I talked to a wide variety of military planners, current officers, people I served with. And yes, uh, many of the events in this book, starting with uh, driving destroyers through the South China Sea, is something I've done. A big part of the book actually occurs in Washington at the National Security Council staff. I've been there. So I drew on that. And then I have a great co-author, Elliot Ackerman, who is a special forces Marine officer, Silver Star recipient. He really understands the battlefield piece of this at the tactical level. We brought all that together. Um, I, I think it, I'll let others judge whether it's a good or a bad novel, but I assure you it's written from reality. No, I'm sure it's, it is great. 2034, a novel of the next world war. So Josh Rogan, writing for the Washington Post, wrote yesterday about, uh, wrote today, um, a foreign policy uh, writer, wrote today about China. Cut 37. 37. We know what Xi Jinping is trying to do because he says it and he writes it all the time. He believes that the Chinese Communist Party is leaning in international, ideological, and political contest to shape a world order to fulfill the China dream so that China can resume what he he believes is its spot atop that order. And that necessarily comes at the expense of not only the system that we've built with our allies and partners since World War II, which led to the greatest era of peace and prosperity in 
history, but also at the expense of our security, our prosperity, our freedom, and now our public health. It took a long time for the United States to wake up to that fact, but now it seems that everyone realizes it's going on. The question is, what are we going to do about it? Right. Uh, do you agree with what he has said so far? A hundred percent. And uh, China, Brian, doesn't think in, you know, five-year plan or 10-year plan. They're thinking a hundred-year plan, um, taking Taiwan, um, the South China Sea, controlling it. This is a huge body of water, the size of the Gulf of Mexico and the Caribbean Sea combined, creating a network of bases around the world. Um, they have detailed plans and they're going to move out and execute them. And my assessment is about 15 years from now is when the ultimate moment of maximum danger will occur as China, a rising power, decides this is the moment when they can truly take on the United States. So, Admiral, if we're serious about this, how will we, what, where, we're going to, where are we going to spend? What, to, what are we going to be building? What are we going to be buying? I know about the cyber threat. I get it. But what in terms of actual military equipment? Um, you're correct. Cyber at the top. There's a lot of equipment that goes into that. Space will be a critical battle zone for this. It's a good thing that we now have a space force. We're going to spend on ships because we're not going to um, send a huge land army over to China to fight them. This is going to be a battle that turns on the maritime world. We're going to spend on long-range aircraft. We've got to have stealth in both maritime and air if we're going to do this. And on the defensive side, uh, we're going to need to build missile defenses that can protect us against incoming Chinese hypersonic missiles. So it's a big shopping list. That's part of what Admiral Davidson was trying to convey to the Congress. And I think he did. Is Is this a world war as you see it? Do you think the, our allies help us and their allies, whoever they are, help them? Uh, I do. And in the book, uh, look for Russia and Iran on the Chinese side. And that is also part of the Chinese plan, to get closer and closer to Russia and Iran for a lot of pretty obvious reasons. That'll be the package that we'll have to go up against at some point. Again, we can still avoid all this. But it's going to require having a significant military deterrent, first and foremost, having strong cyber capability, using diplomacy effectively in a strong way, and using the power of our economy. If we bring all those tools together, I think we can still avoid a war, and that's partly why we wrote this book, to lay out a cautionary tale, what we must avoid. Has the Pentagon contacted you about this and some Um, of your theories? I'm in constant contact with uh, fellow senior military officers, both active duty and retired, and uh, talking to uh, any number of people in the current government, many of whom are good friends. Gotcha. Uh, Admiral James Tervitas, congratulations on the book, The Success. Hopefully this interview may get you number one or at least number two. Uh, 2034, a novel of the next world war. Good job, Admiral. Congrats. Thanks, Brian. Appreciate it. You Bye. got it. one 408 We'll find out when we come back if there's more to know. Expanding your knowledge base. It's Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. And now it's time to see if there's a reason to know more. More to know. Sponsored by Oxford Gold Group. Call today to learn how you can protect your retirement and savings account. 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-GOLD. 
Matthew McConaughey, a big-time actor, success in movies. We know that. Success on HBO, that's kind of like almost television. We know that. Success as a writer, we know that. But he might want to do something else. I'm looking into now, again, what is... What is my leadership role? Because I do, I do think I have some things to teach and share. And what is my, te- what is my, what is my role? What's my category in my next chapter of life that I'm going into now? Should your next leadership role ever include you, you know, running for governor of this wonderful state? We'd be very happy. Right. But don't answer that. I'm not asking that question. I, I hear you. It's, I'm it's, not asking. It's, it's a true consideration. Wow. Uh, rumors about McConaughey entering into politics swirled after he announced a disaster relief campaign after Texas was uh, just uh, brought to its knees by that winter freeze. He left about four million residents without electricity uh, and he took action. He did. It would be interesting to see how he'd be received and who, you know, how many people really try to take him down and how quickly. Right. But I think he's resilient. I think he'd I, come through with What could he say it. about it? I mean, what did he do wrong? I mean, he got naked and played the bongos once. Who hasn't? And with that body, why wouldn't you? Right. Exactly. That's was my excuse when the cops came for me. Next, Rupert Murdoch, happy birthday. He's now 90. He's joining the tiny ranks of, uh, of uh, nonogenarians. Is that how you say guess- it? Nanogenarians running global empires, but according to associates who have met with the media mogul recently, he shows no signs of slowing down, which is true. I suspect Rupert despises headlines like this one published by The Economist last week saying he's preparing to hand over his media empire. But there is considerable uncertainty about the future of the Murdoch assets, as Sweeney wrote the clause in the Disney deal, which, quote, blocked Murdoch from making any more asset sales, comes to an end at the end of the month. So he now has the chance to assess whether to pivot again. Could be interesting times. Came out against cancel culture. We know this. Next, Rory uh, uh, McElroy says Tiger Woods is getting better after his horrific car crash. I've spoken to him a little bit. He, he's doing better. You know, he, uh, you know, I think all the guys have reached out to him. And, you know, hopefully if things go well uh, over the next week or so, we might be able to, to get home and um, start recovery at home, which would be great for him. So see his, see his kids, see his family. He's doing better. And I, I just think, you know, all of us are you know, are, are wishing him a, a speedy recovery at this point. Yeah, I forgot that. See his kids, see his family. Maybe you can't go to the hospital still with this coronavirus and visit people. Is that true? I mean, I think it would depend on the state and the hospital. So, I mean, it's California. very likely, especially in California. Yeah. Uh, you know, if he has a rehab like Alex Smith, who's the, the Redskins quarterback, it's going to be a complete year. Right. Well, he also had the complications, right, with the uh, he got MRSA, correct? Oh, I didn't know that. He got uh, MRSA? Is it, um, I might be thinking of a different... Is he the one the 60 Minutes piece did? Uh, yeah. Well, yeah. that was Alex Smith through the edition. You're right. I, uh, it wasn't Tiger that had MRSA. Correct. Yes, yeah. yes, yes. Yeah. Next. Rob Gronkowski, you're not going to broadcasting yet. After a Super Bowl win, he has another idea. Cut 43. Coming back to play football, Michael, man. I'm back, man. I had a great year last year. Won the championship. And I'm hoping that we're going to have to make a fifth card. And now we're going to have to make another special edition card because we're going to have to add the fifth championship. So it's five championships on that card. But I will be back playing football, man. I love the game of football. I loved playing last year. Had a great time. Won it all. Even if we didn't win it all, I'll tell you this. I was coming back to play football again this year because I had a blast last year. When does he not have a blast? He had a blast in broadcasting. had a blast celebrating it. Takes his shirt off in the winter. Uh, You're absolutely correct. He's someone who truly loves life. They can't wait to get a hold of him in broadcast. You know he's going to be just fantastic because he's so real. He's so real, but then he's going to say something that everyone's going to be offended by at some point, I'm sure. Absolutely. There's no question. <laughs> and I'll say, hey, what do you want? I was drinking. 
Next, University of Tampa students and parents are upset with the private school's decision to hold a virtual commencement. That's a plan to throw the graduation of their own. Uh, evidently, Axios reporting uh, that uh, more people, even though more people are getting vaccinated, in cities like Tampa uh, proven they can do big events like the Super Bowl, a group of students started a petition to pressure their school, the school, to having an in-person commencement. So the University of Tampa students want to have it. I don't understand why not have it. If Florida lets you, look at West Point, look at Annapolis. They separate the chairs. They give you two tickets for two family members. It's no problem. I absolutely agree. I think it was just the easy way out and the safe way out to say, oh, we're going to do it virtual. And finally, Geraldo Rivera is considering to run for Rob Portman's seat in Ohio. Quote, I'm pondering running for the retired Portman seat. Uh, he added, it, it scared the bejesus out of the Democrats and the far right wing of the Republican Party. Would he get Donald Trump's support? Because Donald Trump is mad at him. That's a good question. Or would he run if he didn't have Trump's support? Ooh, it would be crazy not to. I mean, long time history, but he's kind of mad at him now. Listen to the all-new Brett Bear podcast featuring Common Ground, in-depth talks with lawmakers from opposite sides of the aisle, along with all your Brett Bear favorites like his all-star panel and much more. Available now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.